forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I've been going to a lot of doctors lately. Hey, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and who knows, baby? <laughs> who freaking knows? That's such a cop-out. I know. Share something about yourself. Oh my God. It's my nightmare. But in like a, I'm now I'm like, well, in like an emotional sense. Or a fun fact. Fun fact, I got slimed at Nickelodeon. When I was a child. <laughs> a That's fact. a fun fact. Does that stuff wash right off? I had to take a shower. Yeah, backstage. It was actually dyed green and it felt like applesauce. Oh, that's so not at all the consistency I thought it would be. So I don't know if it was really slime because it was not like on television. It was uh, on, it was, I went to Universal Studios in Florida when I was a kid. It was like a show that they put on for like right. the whatever. And I remember also that I got to see the studio and I was like, wow, television. Yeah. <laughs> they would fake recording things when they weren't actually recording things. So then people would fill that experience. Wow. What? So when people were touring, they would have like shows going on, but they weren't actual shows. Really? Yeah. And then it'd be like, oh, and I'm part of the show. Yep. Wow. Oh, my God. That's cool. It's so easy to please people because most people don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was just delighted. I was right. like the magic of television, like Kenneth from 30 Rock, like just like I love TV or like, I don't know, like I just feel like there's something I mean, not for everyone, but like I went to build a bear with my nieces and build a bear is so fun because they make it seem special. Like yeah. they like as you're building the bear, they like they're like, OK, pick a heart. Is it a red heart or a silver heart? They, she picks the heart and then they're like, okay, now rub the heart to the bear's ear so it will always listen to you. And rub the heart to the bear's mouth so it will always talk to you. And the bear's belly so it will always laugh at your jokes. And I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> I took my nieces too when they were little. They loved it. And I was like, I like this. I love interactive experience. Right? And it's so simple, but it's like, it feels like ceremonial and it's like so lovely. And it doesn't get old. Like even any sort of interaction, like I went to California Adventure and the fact that on the Incredicoaster, there's a part that smells like cookies. It's amazing. Delighted. Absolutely delightful. Anything that's like, also that ride Soren. Have you ever been on that ride? No. It's like they, it's like they're taking you over planet Earth and it's like happening kind of around you. And they're, and when you're going in the grass, they pump in, it smells like grass. It's like the small details right? that really matter. Incredible. <laughs> this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. Also, did I bring pictures of me getting slimed at Nickelodeon to every show and tell for the next four years? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? They were like, OK, we've really heard this story because it was not a big school. <laughs> so like you have to stop. And then I told you this, right? Then like one time I brought for show and tell the, the acupuncture needles that had been used on me. So I got acupuncture when I was a kid. I used to get it a lot when I was a kid. My parents thought it cured stuff. And I mean, it does. Anyway, the point is, I was a child and I got acupuncture a lot. And I brought my needle. I asked if I could have my needles in a plastic bag. And I brought them to school for show and tell and talked about acupuncture. Were people impressed? They were mostly like, what? <laughs> it's children. Imagine saying to children, 
And then I go, no, you don't understand. It's really good for my allergies. I'm 10. Oh, my God. My mom was saying I had like speech issues when I was younger um, because I was putting my tongue in the wrong place. And I had to do some sort of like assessment where they like asked me my favorite color and favorite vegetable. And I was like four and I was like black and artichokes. <laughs> and they were like, we have more going on here yeah. than, <laughs> than she doesn't know how to this child is words. 50 years old somehow. <laughs> My poor mother was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have got a great episode for everyone today. We're going to be talking to Meredith Goldstein all about giving advice and Allison fangirls. I know. I love Meredith Goldstein so much. And later, we're going to be talking all about our favorite life hacks. So this will be really valuable. Extremely valuable. Useful. A real useful episode. A service episode. Yeah. Take your notebooks out, kids, and, and get a pen because you'll want to write this down. <laughs> But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous, Michigan. Ooh. Hi, Allison and Gabe. And hello, Melissa. Aw. I'm Anonymous from Michigan. I'm a longtime fan since the BuzzFeed days, and I love the pod. I've become more of a regular listener recently and look forward to every show. I especially love the new Reddit episodes you guys have been doing. Thank you every Monday. TLDR. I have prolonged guilt about my ex falling into a QAnon conspiracy rabbit hole. On one of the Reddit episodes, Gabe mentioned a subreddit called r slash QAnon casualties. I've actually posted in that subreddit about my own story. I, 27 female, had been in a relationship with my ex-boyfriend, 27 male, for a few years. When we first got into a relationship, we were on the same page when it came to ideology and politics. We were both quite liberal and even bonded over protest against big oil. Somehow, over the course of our relationship, my ex delved deeper into what I'd call white spirituality. It was a lot of borrowed ideas from other cultures and honestly felt like appropriation at times. From that, it became a slippery slope into conspiracy theories. At first, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. I just thought he was trying to discover himself. But as time went on, it was clear that he believed these really harmful ideas and was sold on the messaging of QAnon and Trump. I probably stayed with him longer than I should have. But part of me felt like I had a responsibility for him to see the light. Like maybe he would go back to who he used to be. But he just kept falling further and further. I had so much guilt because I felt like there must be something I could have done differently. I mean, by the end of our relationship, I was way more leftist than at the beginning, but he had taken a sharp right to extremism. To this day, although it's been years from our breakup, I still feel a sense of guilt. I wonder what could have been different and if there was any hope in saving him. How do I reconcile this heavy burden I feel? How can I get myself to not feel responsible for his fall into QAnon? When I brought this up to other friends or even my therapist, I don't think they understand the gravity of it. People think you can just brush it off, but it lingers at the back of my head like a nagging feeling. It's especially hard to deal with since I'm a self-proclaimed leftist and I think, how could I have possibly been with someone like that? There's also a feeling of embarrassment that I even dated him. Thanks for any advice. Love you guys so much. So I think what you're feeling is grief hmm. because a lot of the stories that I see in QAnon casualties and even with falling outs and, and things like that, is that the person that you knew kind of died. Like you're mourning a person that you were with, that you thought you knew, that you were similar to, that you, and like that person doesn't exist anymore. 
And so it is a, a loss. It is a sense of maybe less so guilt and more just like grief. Like, I don't think you should obviously don't feel embarrassed that you dated this person because the person that you dated and the person that this is now is not the same person. It is the same person, but it's also not. It's this weird. And this happens when someone takes a turn for the better too, right? Like similarly to, I talk about like my dad having been an addict and alcoholic now that he's sober. Is he the guy that did all that stuff when I was younger? Yes. Is he also this new person? Yes. And so I think for you, like the person you dated, what you're you're doing is you're mourning like someone you dated not ending up in a good place or being the type of person that you thought they were. And so in a way that other person died and I think you should be allowing yourself to feel the the grief of that. I also think, and and I don't necessarily objectively think you need to do this, but it might just be healing, is to forgive yourself, mm-hmm. right? To like sort of like sit yourself down and be like, I forgive you. I forgive you for staying in a relationship with somebody that that thought these things. I forgive you for for even holding on to this guilt about this for this long. I, I, I forgive you for whatever you feel like you should have done, but you weren't able to like, you know, not that necessarily like you need to be forgiven for all those things. But if this is something that has been staying with you for years, I think that like really focusing on forgiveness instead of like, but how do I make the guilt go away? But how do I make my, how do I make people understand the gravity? And like, it's a way for you to honor the feelings that you are feeling whether or not they're justified or whether or not other people think you should feel them. But because you are feeling them, being able to really say like, that was my younger self Mm -hmm. and me now as my present self is forgiving you. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to move forward with my life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really difficult because I don't really even think there was anything you could do. I think it's you, one singular person versus a cacophony of voices if this person falls into, you know, conspiracies or QAnon or anything like that, that's a large swath of people saying something to them, reach, being able to reach them versus you just being kind of one person. So you know what I mean? I think it's you're, you're up, but you were up against a, a Megatron to begin with. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think any of this is their fault. I think that there's just a funny thing our brains can do where sometimes reason doesn't work. Yeah. And sometimes a more emotional approach might. So do you know what I yeah. mean? Like being able, like you can say to yourself again and again, oh, but it wasn't really my fault. It wasn't my fault. But then like another voice will be like, but it was, or like, you'll just yeah. still feel the thing. But then being able to be like, whether or not it was my fault, whether or not I could have done anything, remove all the variables. I'm just going to forgive myself mm-hmm. because I'm a person that is deserving of forgiveness in the way other people are deserving of forgiveness. And then I'm going to move forward because I, I imagine she's already had all the logical conversations with herself about it. Yeah. You know, like I feel that way with things where like sometimes reasoning isn't, isn't scratching the itch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you found community in that place because I do think there's a lot of people who feel the same way. In the subreddit? In the subreddit. Yeah. Because I think it's, I think to watch someone go down a path in any regard you can't tell someone what to do, you know, like it's going to come up in the, in what we're talking about with Meredith Goldstein, but it's like, you can't force someone to, to do things that you 
they're not ready to hear or they don't want to hear. And I also think like there's that scary thing of like people change. Right. So like, you know, the person you start off with, something can happen and they can change abruptly. But then you are still holding on to who they were when you met. And that's a very normal, natural thing to do. Like, it's really difficult when you're with someone day in and day out for your whole idea of them to like completely shift, even if they have shifted. Like, it takes us a little time to catch up to that. Yeah. Hopefully that was helpful. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Meredith Goldstein. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Meredith Goldstein, author, journalist, and longtime advice columnist at the Boston Globe. Her advice column and podcast, Love Letters, is a daily dispatch of wisdom for the lovelorn that has been running for more than a decade. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, thank you for being here. Allison's a huge fan. Yeah, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you. So so I I have a bunch of questions, but I think like what I'd love to dive into is the advice giving of it all, because, you know, we give advice on the show all the time. And I think you do. Yeah, (laughs) I love I love it. It's so it's weird to be an advice columnist and to be listening to somebody else give advice and to say, wow, like, how do they do that? very out-of-body experience because I guess I do that too. But there's something interesting about seeing, especially that there are two of you yeah, and that you can bounce off each other. It's really fun to listen to. Oh, thank Thank you. I mean, it's interesting because sometimes we'll have such different takes takes and such different advice. And so it like gets into this idea that like there's limitless options for advice. So how, how like for you, do you feel confident in like what route you give people? Well, it's it's interesting you say that because I always think that every letter writer probably could take a highlighter over one sentence and give themselves an answer to mm-hmm. some extent. And what I notice in listening to the two of you take on questions, you both highlight a different sentence mm. sometimes. So that's that's the interesting thing that I think that that what what I am trying to do is say, hey, like this this one thing you said makes me feel like this is the right answer for you. And I think that's, you know, sometimes when I, you know, there are commenters on the website, they'll be like, well, why did you say this? Or how do you know that? And I'm like, well, I'm not giving advice for everyone. I'm giving advice for this letter writer Mm -hmm. who is asked in a specific way. So many of the letters are like, oh, my partner's the worst. I'm so miserable. And then one last sentence is, you know, but I've been with them a long time and I love them. And that's a choice Mm -hmm. to load up on all these negatives and not share the positive. It's it's almost like there's a self-editing that goes on before I even get the letter. So when people ask, well, how do you know what to say? I'm usually like, well, people have already told me what to say. Mm-hmm. They might not know it, but in a lot of cases, that's true, I think. Do people in your life constantly come to you for advice as well? Do, but they know who they're getting it from a little bit more. Like, <laughs> I think that a lot of people in their lives are the friend who everybody comes to. And that probably speaks to interest, empathy, listening skills. It doesn't mean they always knew what, know what they're doing in their own lives. Like, I... In my own life, I need a ton of advice and don't know what I'm doing 99% of the time. So I do find it odd that, 
you know, I have these friends who have been married for a long time or have complicated relationships and I've never been married and been pretty monumentally single for a, a long time. And I'm like, well, wh- what do you think I know about this? But it's more just like somebody who gives advice is usually just somebody who is a good friend to talk to who listens. Is that what you're cultivating? Because like, I'm not as familiar with the show. So like, is it that you're you don't have like a background other than just like I'm your buddy and I have a lot of experience listening to people and giving advice versus like I'm a doctor or I'm like, a you know, I am. I am definitely not a doctor. Uh, so the cool thing about the podcast is that, you know, I've been doing the advice column for forever. And my one frustration was that my background is in journalism. Mm-hmm. So what I really want to do is interview people and say, well, tell me more and say more about that and say more about that. So with the podcast, I don't really answer many letters and we sit down with someone and they tell me their whole story from start to finish. So, uh, you know, about one particular breakup right now, I mean, this is of particular interest to you, but we're talking to people about money things in their lives. Mm-hmm. So we had a couple talk about $33,000 of secret credit card debt mm-hmm. and how they got over it. And I'm just sitting there and guiding the conversation, but the podcast gives the journalist in me just a gateway into getting lessons from people and just from, you know, getting the nuance of their experiences. So it's actually made me a better advice columnist, I think, to really sit with people for two hours or more and talk through one incident in their lives that changed them. It's made me better at the other thing. Because really with an advice column or a, a letter, you get like 200 words of an issue. And it's like, you don't know all the little bits and pieces. So yeah, I guess my my tone is... I'm a friend. I'm somebody who likes to do reporting. I'm curious. But with the podcast, I'm like, no, I don't know. Tell me more. (laughs) Some of it, some of it I feel is super selfish where I feel like all of these people have shared stories that have made me more courageous in my own life, not to be cheesy, but where I'm like, oh, well, if if all these people are taking risks, maybe I can too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's what's always been so intriguing to me about the podcast is that you know, like you said, like so much of it is about relationships, but you have been single and and haven't been married. And so it is this. And I think you've spoken about it a bit about like kind of the imposter syndrome of it all of like giving advice about long term relationships without actively being in one. But do you think that that gives you a, a different insight or a lack of bias? Like, how do you navigate that? Well, I think for a lot of people, especially like, you know, I am a straight woman of a particular 40-something age. And so there are a lot of peers I had that are like, well, here are the steps I take to being an adult person. But that never looked that good to me. So I needed to to get different models. And in searching for different ways of, of doing this, I was also asking people who did go that route and saying, well, how has this worked for you? And is it what I think it is? So yeah, I think just by being completely afraid of it, like really paralyzed with fear over it and what it means to be super close to someone who is not a friend. I mean, I've always had a great community of friends and family members I love. And I'm like, well, that's, that seems safe to me. But this other thing, this love thing, despite giving advice about it, I want everybody else to do it to prove to me that it's okay. (laughs) And I think now, now that I'm, you know, this age, I'm like, oh, I actually am starting to take some of these lessons. So yeah, I, I think actually not being comfortable with it probably makes me ask different questions. I can't say I'm better or worse, just different. Yeah, I like that because I think sometimes there's this this echo chamber of people who are in long term relationships where they go, well, but that's what it's like. You know, oh, we all hate our husbands. You know, like that's sort of what it is. Marriage sucks or whatever. And if you're like someone who's older and like not and, you know, 
uh, and not locked into this long term relationship where you think you have to <laughs> stay with someone just because you're a certain age or because you've been with them for a long time and there's a sunk cost fallacy or whatever, you're probably able to step back and be like, do you need it? Do you need to be with this person? Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like I'm at this great point in life, too, where I'm like, oh, well, I already missed all these deadlines that are not real deadlines. Yeah. But, you know, you turn there's 30 and then there's 40, which is even better. And <laughs> then everybody's and then everybody stops bothering you. Yeah. <laughs> like They're like, they just stop asking. And then I'm like, well, now I can curate this whole thing that is the way I want it. And it's not that you can't find that before 40. You absolutely can. But I certainly didn't know how. And I think often it is younger storytellers on the podcast that are telling me a story about their lives where I'm like, oh, well, that's the way I could do this. And I, I just, you know, there's so much nuance to all of these arrangements. You know, not everybody who's been married for 30 years does it the same way. And I really like want everybody just to tell me, how do they do it in a way that's okay? Mm -hmm. Whether it's in a marriage, out of a marriage, single, in, you know, multiple partners. I, I just... I'm super nosy, but with with like great respect and caring. I mean, you feel like sometimes, Allison, that you you can't give advice because you're like very intense about like, well, I have to finish school. And like sometimes you get very nervous, too, about like your qualifications. I think, yeah, I, you know, also being in school for psychology with like the controversy around do therapists give advice? How directive are therapists or therapists more just there to listen and ask intriguing questions. And, you know, and so I, I think I do like get into I, I swing back and forth between like, please, someone give me an advice column. And like, who am I to say anything? You know, yeah. and I think I think for me, I bump up against when I don't have anything like their experience. So like, I think what's nice about us doing it together in this show is like, you know, I'm I'm not part of the LGBTQI community. And so I don't have that that, you know, that vantage point. And so for Gabe to be able to sort of like have a bit more lived experience there or, you know, even like somebody writing in about ADHD, like, yeah, I've had OCD since I was four, but I don't have ADHD. And mm -hmm. so I think that there are certain times where I feel less qualified to speak to it. But then I like you were sort of alluding to I try to find the thing I can connect to mm -hmm. or the the root of like, well, self-compassion seems to help in every instance. So maybe I talk a bit about that or, you know, more broad things that can be applicable instead of like me having to have had this exact experience. Yeah, you're very good at that, Allison. And I think like Meredith, I think you're so right about picking up on one sentence and then people have answered their own question. <laughs> like it's so hard to get people to see that. <laughs> It It is. And sometimes they don't want to and it's OK. Maybe they're not ready. I, I One of the nice things about the column, despite the Internet truly being an awful place a lot of the time, sometimes people will really say like in a comment section, oh, wait, I have more questions about this. And then they're talking to each other and then I'm learning about their experiences. And that taught me pretty quickly. I need to admit what I don't know right off the bat because somebody else might know. And so I think I've always approached it like, a, here's what I think, but what do you think? And letter writer, does that even sound right to you? Mm -hmm. I love getting updates from former letter writers about where they are now. Because sometimes they'll say, oh, you were totally wrong. But in being wrong, you made it very clear what I needed to do or oh. what I was missing. So that's, that's, you know, the mistakes of it, which as a journalist turned advice columnist with no degrees in psychology, that's a little bit easier for me to say, I'm kind of just, guess. I mean, I'm kind of riffing on this and here's what I think you're trying to tell me. Whereas for 
you know, someone in who is an actual mental health professional, they may feel much more tentative about saying, let me summarize your 200 words and here's what to do. I, th- I think it is a difficult line to walk. How did you become the advice columnist, you know, having gone into it more for, for general journalism? Well, it was a time that was pre-texting. I mean, texting was happening. I shouldn't say pre-texting. Now I sound super old. But it was it was pre-everything on your phone. Mm-hmm. It was pre-smartphones as they are. And so there was a brief period where I entered journalism where I was writing a lot of stories about what does this mean for our relationship lives? And I was interviewing people and psychologists and and uh, Facebook was suddenly public for non-college students. And we were like, oh, now we all know what our exes look like however many <laughs> years later. It's super stressful. And so I went from writing about these issues to answering some questions. People would say, well, is it rude to not call someone? Is it rude to do this other thing instead? Or, you know, when in- I remember there were a lot of Instagram emails I would get once I had really started the column. Every piece of new technology changed the way we lived. And I don't know how much time you spent in Boston, but... I worked at the Globe. <laughs> right. Well, that's right. Oh, my God. I'm for- <laughs> forgetting the obvious thing, the obvious connection. I mean, then you know, right? Like, everybody who lives here is really interested in, in Boston. <laughs> we are. <laughs> they are. Okay, bo- nobody is more obsessed with Boston than people in Boston. And then it's so funny yeah. to leave Boston and literally no one cares. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I'm from the Maryland area. So when I moved to Boston, I was like, oh, this what a lovely place. But I had no idea it was the center of the universe until everyone from Boston told me. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I needed to go to the Globe and say, you're running syndicated advice columns. That's great. But this, of all places, is somewhere where Boston needs to hear, you know, from a Boston person. And then you always feel like you might know that person, too. I always when when I get local letters and I don't always at this point, it feels like they might know seven degrees of my friend, whatever. So I, I just felt like the globe really needed it. And then the question was, was I volunteering? And the answer was yes. I mean, I I this was a long time ago. I always wonder if I'd have the confidence now to be like, no, I'm the person, right, who should be. And then, of course, I would later learn that there's this long history of Jewish advice givers. Absolutely. Even though I'm not super, I was not raised with a ton of religion at all. I am a a non-bat mitzvah girl and yet very culturally Jewish. And of course, it's a part of the culture that you talk about things, you you talk about the meaning of things. And I I hadn't even thought about that when I started the job. Well, the word yenta, the Yiddish for like yeah. someone who's nosy or gossiping, right? Like that's such a, a ubiquitous word in Judaism is like, oh, they're a yenta, you know? So there's like a, there is a long history of Jewish advice givers. That's really funny. I never thought of it that way. There, There's a man at work who once said, oh, I get it. You're a yentl. And I was like, no, yentl no. is Barbara Streisand. <laughs> that's a Barbara Streisand movie, but you're so close. <laughs> well, it, as a Jewish woman who is so nosy, can I ask, are you dating? What's going on? <laughs> I am. And uh, I'm seeing someone who is totally, he is very lovely. And I will tell you that, well, two things I've learned. One is that I have been able to apply so many lessons and so many stories to questions I have about my own relationship. And, you know, he's someone who has had much longer relationships than I have had. And so I feel like I've got this you know, Greek chorus of people who are like, no, it's not, you can do this. It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you like lose the life you had or everything changes. And also not everything is as scary as you think. I also have learned that in my interviewing style, you know, he listens. So he'll be like, huh, what are you trying to, you know, sometimes he'll be like, oh, you said this. Is that, is that really how you feel? And I'm like, oh no, I wasn't really thinking about you. (laughs) Oh, he listens to the show. 
usually after and and he's very interested in the stories of these people. He's a he's a big narrative lit podcast. He loves storytelling. So it happens to be that this is a podcast he might like, you know, even if he didn't know me and he loves to hear people talk about their relationships. But he's also like, oh, you added in this comment. And that's something for me to think about, too, because then it's like, well, is it relevant to our relationship? So it's an interesting tool to use to, I don't know, he's probably better at having uncomfortable conversations than I am. But um, but I'm learning a lot. And I have I have so much gratitude for the people who have written me letters and been on the show because I'm like, oh, this is weird. I'm going to go listen to episode four of season three <laughs> and figure out what's happening in this moment. Uh, and that is wonderful. How did you guys meet? We met online. Love it. And I did one episode about having never been on a dating app up until a certain point, up until really we were in the thick of COVID isolation and really doing it because a friend had broken up with someone and wanted some solidarity online. And I was like, oh, I could do this for, but I really did not want to date very much. I think there was a a fear that I would meet somebody I liked. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of the opposite thing that most people are probably going for. And I think that year, everything being so slow, the fact that we had to take walks, the fact that we were Zooming sometimes when otherwise in another year we might have been in person, it was like I had this long distance pen pal and then in person for walks. And then it felt like this old school courtship where I was like, are we going to kiss each other? And then we did. (laughs) (laughs) But but now there's that interesting moment of getting to know someone all over again when their lives are just as busy as they were before we met. So we're still learning about each other. Well, what are you like, you know, what do you like in the real world? And what are your community, you know, what's your community? And, And it's been so slow and so nice in that way. I have to ask what your your sister's opinion is on all of it, because she is such an amazing personality that you incorporate into the show. And she's always so delightful. <laughs> she is. She is an extrovert. And that is an understatement. Uh, she <laughs> she has really I think in the beginning when I was like, I'm because I didn't tell her at first. And then I told her I was seeing someone and she liked it. And then I think she got a little scared because I'm always available for her and she and she is really my even though she's married like she, we are life partners in a different kind of way we are the kind of siblings that put each other first sometimes at the expense of everyone else around us and that comes from losing a parent there are a lot of trauma related issues we are so tethered but i think there was a little bit of a fear of well what happens to me if this person is important too and then i think it sort of was like oh well all your friends are important too and and but but now she just needed her own time with him. But I think it was a little scary because that dynamic had not ever really changed. Right. At least for many, many years. So, but yes, she is. I, one of the great things about him is that he understands that she won't be changing her role in my life. Is she younger? <laughs> She's four years older. She is wild and funny and sometimes inappropriate and a character. And she also is often, she was a casting director for, and has been a casting director for a very long time. So she's often surrounded by actors and then writers. And I think when she met him, and he is neither of those things, he was kind of just like a nice guy saying hi. And she's so used to people sharing, being incredibly um, opinionated, asking a ton of questions. And he's like a New England guy who's trying not to be nosy and, and 
I was like, you know, he's not he's not an actor. I think when you're friends with only actors in a lot of cases, it can really skew your perspective about friendliness and yes. and extroversion. And so they just had to figure each other out. But now, now, now they're good. It's just, you know, I think when you're the same for so many years, people in your life are like, wait, one thing has changed. What does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. How have you worked through the discomfort of of becoming close with with someone in a different way? I think because he has had experience with longer relationships, I I also admit what I don't know. So I will say, this is scary to me, um, you know, if it's a level of commitment or, you know, and I will say, is it is it scary to you? Like, what does it mean? And he'll remind me that he doesn't really know either. I mean, you can have all the relationships in the world, but he's never been with me before this. Mm-hmm. And also, it's he's doing this at a different age. And so the minute I say this is making me uncomfortable. Is it bad uncomfortable or new uncomfortable? Which is something I've had to figure out in therapy over many years of, of that, that initial feeling of, wait, this doesn't feel good. Does that mean it's bad? Or does it just mean I don't know it already? Usually when he tells me he feels similarly, then I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So he's actually very, he doesn't fully understand the, like, ha- why I can c- circle around a feeling for like, four and a half hours. Like <laughs> once he has, he has a feeling and he feels it and then it goes away or like he lives. It's just like, it's a different thought process. And it's actually really fun to be around somebody who's much more present than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes I'll be like, why doesn't he have like wild anxiety all the time? And I'm like, oh no, it's okay. <laughs> he just, it's, it's a little different. <laughs> I know. I just, I just wrote about the fact that like some people don't have anxiety. And it's wild, like living wild, living wild. with my partner, like we're packing for a trip. It's 8 p.m. the night before we're supposed to leave. He hasn't packed yet. I would be losing my mind. I'd be like, oh, my God, how have I? And like, meanwhile, it takes half an hour to pack. Like he packed. It was totally fine. Yeah. But it's just such a different way of moving through the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he, do, you know, he will. He'll say, I do get worried. I do think about issues. But it doesn't take as much of the space in his brain as it, I think it does for me. One thing that is both cheesy and I love about him is that he usually will see like a bench somewhere where we're walking around or traveling and he'll be like, you know, somebody probably put it there so you can look at something nice. Like, let's just sit in it and look at it. And once he did that with me when we were near the beach, and I, don't, I have to tell you, I had not even noticed the beach. I mean, I knew we were at the <laughs> beach, but my brain was on a to-do list. My brain was on something else. And every now and then he'll be like, look at that. Like, look, there's a turtle. Look, there's a bird. And it snaps me out of this moment where I have left the building. (laughs) And that I've realized is like a nice balance as as opposed to just like not understanding each other. So it's been really interesting. I feel, again, like I am like, what would I say to myself? (laughs) I was going to say, how does that impact your advice? How does that impact like... Did you talk about like, oh, I'm single? And then did you have to be like, listeners, readers, your girl has a boyfriend? <laughs> I, I re- haven't done it a lot with the with the readership. I did do it a little on the podcast. I hinted at it because there's also that like, I'm also a little superstitious. So I was like, well, what if it's, what if it's, you know, and, and then you, you're like, oh, all of these things are risks and all of the letters that, that people send to me like are moments in their lives. It doesn't, they're taking their own risks. I think even before meeting him, something changed in my brain where when I started the column, I was a single person in my 30s who was really proud of being single in a particular way. Like I was like, other people, 
you know, they go to the furniture store and have two people to carry the, I felt very like I needed applause wherever I went of like, and I did it by myself. <laughs> and that's a part of the culture too, right? If like you think about the media I was getting growing up at, at my age, like, you know, I'm a Murphy Brown kid. I, I can't say that Sex and the City affected me that much, but I knew it was there. I mean, I was much younger than those characters, but there's this narrative of like, you did it alone. And then I started to realize that my friends and couples had much harder decisions to make, that they had to figure out what couch to buy with two people making the decision. And that is hard. I just bought the couch I wanted. Yes, I had financial um challenges that they didn't have. But in some ways, I didn't because I always had a group of friends and roommates. And and so at some point during the column, I was like, oh, wait, they're just as brave. These people who choose to connect to each other. Like, this is hard no matter how you do it. And it's wonderful no matter how you do it. And like, we're all just figuring it out. So I think that was the big turning point where I was like, wow, especially when 2020 really got going. And I was like, oh, I'm alone in my house with my TV and my snack. Okay. Like, I just have to do that. And other people had to stare at their partners all day. Yeah. <laughs> all day. And I was like, wow, they're really going through it. Good for them. Like, they're getting by. So uh, that was a big lesson that helped me even start this relationship of like, oh, I will need courage to do this. Actually, being single is not that hard for me. But how does that impact um, the advice? I think it has really made me admit that much more what I don't know and be that much more empathetic about struggles because every relationship is going to hit weird bumps. And so it's really hard for me to say, although lately I have been telling people to break up a lot, but I've got, I've had some pretty, I've had a run of pretty bad letters about relationships, but you know, all these people are like, well, how come they don't know? Just end it. Just, you know, finish the relationship. It's obviously, but I'm like, every relationship looks really ugly sometimes. And looks really wonderful sometimes, depending on who the audience is, if there's an audience at all. So I'm not very quick to say, give up a person who has made you feel great for a long time. I know that over time, it can be difficult. And sometimes I'll think, oh, I'm pretty new in my relationship. Like, I'm, I'm like, oh, when does it get hard? It hasn't felt really difficult yet. And I feel really lucky. But I, I want to make room for that when I know it's supposed to be more challenging. I also think sometimes like things can be easy between the two of you, but it's in the outside stuff that gets really hard that like, you know, that the thirds or whatever, as my couples therapist calls it, like someone loses a job or someone's parent is sick or, you know, like it's not necessarily that there needs to be constant conflict between the two of you, but just like it's hard to go through life at all. And then to go through it together, you might have twice as many issues. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I would never bring up my sister as a difficult thing, but it is interesting that to meet somebody during a pandemic is different, right? I was actually probably seemingly more relaxed because I had nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just could be more present. And then once that changed, I was like, actually, surprise, my sister is going to be around a lot. And you have been welcomed into this extended family of my friends. And I'm sure that was a moment where he was like, oh, wait, it's not just her. It's like right. all these people. And this is what she was doing when I was coupled. And it those are moments where you're like, oh, this is the outside world. This And some of it is wonderful. And I'm sure a lot of it, most of it is something he's really welcomed. But it doesn't mean it's not an adjustment. That is difficult to know, well, what's the difference between an adjustment and trying something new and something that isn't good for you. And and I 
I'm not somebody who likes change very much. I find it deeply. So any little change, I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right for me. <laughs> so I've had to like really like pull back from that. So and and that is that has absolutely affected the advice because these are things I knew. And sometimes I said the words, but I didn't fully live in them. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it's it's helped me give more empathetic advice. Yeah. And I think I yeah, I mean, going through my broken engagement, I think I even had this part in the book where I had said that, like, in the first draft of the book, I said, even if my fiance left me, I know I'd be okay. And then he did leave me. And then I like, was actually okay. And so like, it's like, you can think certain things, but there is something about also going through it that like gives it more substance or like you have you you're able to back it up a a bit more than like um, when it's a theoretical idea. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely were sure I I give advice sometimes that sounds really nice. And then to know that it finds out to be, you know, you find out it's true and you're like, oh, that's so great. Yeah, (laughs) I've I've lived in this now. And and that is it's a nice feeling when you're like, oh, you know, okay, this this could work out. okay. And it's easy from the outside to say dump, dump them, you know. Oh, everybody could be dumped. I mean, we we should all be dumped. We're all, you know, from the wrong angle. Everything looks pretty weird. And, you know, one thing I do still stick to in the column is that there's a lot of language about failure from the beginning. There has been where people will say failed marriage or failed relationship. And I, I really don't like that because I don't think these things are failures. They're experiences and not everybody's meant to be together. And I know a lot of people who are exes who are wonderful in each other's lives. And they're even if they're not actively in each other's lives, they're important parts of their history. Mm-hmm. And so that piece of it, you know, yeah, if it's time to go, it's time to go. Or if it's time to change, it's time to change. But sometimes, yeah, you do want to hang on and see if you can get through a weird time, especially if you are dealing with job loss, moving, all of these changes. A lot of people who've said to me, oh, well, the last few years were really difficult. I'm like, okay, well, maybe see how it feels in a little bit because you might still be figuring out a new routine. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. What would you say to people like all of us who give advice to our friends, who people go to for input, and then we give the advice and nobody listens? (laughs) I think you really have to ask yourself, am I being asked for advice or am I being asked to help facilitate a conversation about what they want to do anyway? Mm. I'm at an age where I don't tell anybody what to do. When I was in my 20s, even before the column, I was constantly like, oh, well, it sounds like you should break up get together. You know, I had a lot of opinions, but I'm not someone who's ever done something because someone told me to do it. That's like not how we work. I think, you know, if there's, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. So if someone says to me as a friend, what should I do? I sort of have to walk them through getting there because they probably know. So I would just say like, even if you're a friend who's saying, I'm telling somebody what to do, you know, unless it's like teaching somebody how to use their computer or something very like, you know, obviously like a tool, logistics, whatever. Um, I would even say, should you be telling somebody what to do? And when they want advice, what are they really saying? I need to take that in. I know. I still <laughs> tell people. Well, it depends I, what the vibe is. Sometimes I don't have time. I'm like, I can't walk you through this, man. You just got to break up. 
Right. Or or even just to observe, well, this is the 19th time we've talked about how miserable you are. What do, what could that mean? Right. Oh, <laughs> what could Allison, that mean? Allison, I think this is a shade on me. <laughs> I think Allison's like, yeah, 19, yeah, 19 times. How many times can we do it? Hey, we got you there. Right. And that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, it's OK. Right. And sometimes it's like, no, we got to do this another 25 times. But, you know, just the little observations can help. Yesterday, I was like, I, I was I'm having a horrible breakup. And I said something about it. And I was like, yeah, Allison, where were you? And she was like, we weren't good friends at that point. Yeah. When they got when they got together. Yeah. <laughs> where, yeah where where was the time machine to tell yeah, me said, this was going to be difficult? Where and- were you? Where were you? And uh, she was like. I mean, you wouldn't have listened to me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm like, we don't. I mean, I don't know that we're supposed to as human people to say like, oh, OK, I'll do what everybody tells me to do, because I'm sure you get a lot of opinions, too. Mm-hmm. I think now at this after everything Allison and I have been through, I think if she was like, you got to go the first time, I'd be like, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, I do think there are certain people in our lives where my grandmother was like this when she was alive. If she gave me a certain look, I was like, okay, that's that's not the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that that just stressed me out. And I, I know she's probably right. So yeah, it's good to, good to have those friends too. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I could talk to you about this for hours, but we, we do have a, a, a time limit. And now I have to shift you not so gracefully into our game show. Are you ready to play a game show? <laughs> Absolutely. So hypotheticals is a game where you and Gabe are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. Questions are encouraged. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And, and sometimes I, I pick a winner and sometimes I don't. Um, largely, you do pick a winner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm, if I'm going to have this power, I might as well wield it. Oh, no, that doesn't bode well for my next relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner works at a tech company that does a lot of VR. You find out they have been having VR sex with their coworker, who is also hooked up to the VR to, quote, test the product. It is designed to help people in long distance relationships stay intimate. Would you stay with this cheater? Does the VR avatar for this person look like the person they work with? Yes, because it's meant to it's meant to like bring long distance people like as if they're being together. So it's very accurate to to their bodies. I I would (laughs) not stay with this cheater. I would not. I would at least have a moment of what's happening in this relationship. But I would not accept that as okay. That can't, that <laughs> so can't I would... be legal. <laughs> they, they have not been asked by their companies to test okay, it out. Okay, there it is. They're doing it because they think that that's really the only way to know if the product's working. No, I'm oh, out. The only way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out. I, I am having a conversation, but probably out. Yeah, I'm out. Would you want to try out the product first? Yeah, but I want, I want... I want full control over what I make any of the VR people look like. Yeah, I was like, where this sounds actually kind of cool, but, <laughs> but in the right in the right situation, also like a weird movie I don't want to be a part of. But yeah, like, <laughs> but no, they can't. Ma- right. I was like, they can't make them do that at work. So it must be. It was extra credit. No, there's no such thing. And then I feel like we get into a murky legality again. So I have to say, no, I'm out. 
why wouldn't they just tell me, hey, we're thinking about doing this? Or why wouldn't they use you as the person? Yeah, there it That's is. That's a good question. They well, need to test it out. Yeah, they're getting you in, in IRL. And so <laughs> I guess in this world, why not? I mean, I, this brings up so many questions for me where I'm like, if it's a someone they have a crush on from long ago, would it be okay? Is it is it that much worse that it's a coworker? And yes, but also, I don't know who it should be that would make it okay. But the fact that there were no conversations first, I'm, I'm, I'm out too. And yeah. I also think it's different if you're doing VR and then you're having simulated sex with a with something that doesn't exist, like another, like a robot or like, yeah. but this is like, you're both hooked up to the machine. Yeah, I don't like that. That feels very different to me. Like yeah. the other person this is, is like, real. Yeah. Like, this is like Bob from The Office. It's like, no. Exactly. <laughs> no. If you just need to test it with any coworker, choose choose someone that isn't a, a hot person you're, you're want, you know what I mean? Choose like Phyllis in accounting. So you'd rather them have sex with Phyllis, sim- simulated sex with Phyllis sure. in accounting? Let her get it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. That's, I, you know, I, anybody but yes. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I would argue I'd have an issue with them doing it with anybody. Okay, but that's true. That's fair. Okay, our next game. Would you forgive this liar? Your closest friend from college has always been really rich due to a trust fund. One day they call you crying and say all their money is gone due to a fraudulent financial advisor. They ask if they could sleep on your couch and borrow a couple thousand dollars to get by. You say, of course, and offer to do whatever you can to help. They show up at your house an hour later, but instead of having a bag of stuff, they hand you a check for $5,000 and say, I just wanted to see who my real friends are. I am still very rich. Would you forgive this liar? Yeah. I would. Yeah, I would. You telling me they proved they proved I'm a good person and they're giving me money. What more could I want? I would not forgive that liar. Wow. I I just felt punched in the gut. Now, would I cash the check? That's a totally different question. But I do. I was like, ooh. But if that person was already like putting me through some weird hunger games of friend testing. No, I, that's not a, no. The problem is, is that if anything bad ever happened to that person again, I would offer to do a nice thing. But in the back of my mind, I'd be like, were they just mugged or do they want to give me $20,000? Do they need me to go to their house and like pick up clothes for them because they're in the hospital or are they just lying and they're going to give me a thousand dollars? That's a bad precedent. You'd be like, oh, I'm not even getting money from this act of kindness. Yeah, you then then like put your hand out like you're waiting for your tip. Where's my tip? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd forgive them. Yeah. I I, I like to be paid for a lot of things, but my friendship, not not so much. No, I'll be paid to be your friend. I don't care. I think I think (laughs) what's weird to me is them giving me the five thousand dollars. But I understand. Well, because then it feels like they're paying for my friendship. Good. But I I mean, I'd still cash it. But I think I would understand maybe they were like in the throes of has anyone in my life ever really cared about me or has wow. it just been because I'm wealthy? And so I think I would think that the experiment was coming from a place of deep fear and anxiety. And therefore, I would I would forgive it. No, I, I'm going to call your bluff. I feel like you just like you if you. You like that? It's like, wow! I really, I did, I did. The I'd right love thing. to hear I was a good friend. Yeah, I like eat that you, shit up. But right. I also think I could understand a good person getting to that place where they do this weird thing. Okay, but what if you, what if you said 
actually, no, you can't sleep over. And I'm not. And, you know, like, what if you were like the person who was like, I really can't. But like, let's say you're like, no, I really can't. My like grandma's dying in the next room or whatever. Like you have a really good reason. Then it's like kind of weird. I think they would still like if you were like, come next week, I think that you'd probably still get the money or maybe just at a reduced rate. I don't know. That's a really good question. But I would not be I I would say to them, this was really weird. And what happened here? Like what happened to you that that you felt the need to do this? You're totally right. Like what brought them to that point? Yeah. And Uh, establishing we can't do this again. I'm not going through any more friendship tests. Yeah. Ugh. It'd be hard not to take that money, though. I would take the money. I love money. <laughs> but wouldn't you think that anytime they like, let's say like, OK, it's like years later, they're like sibling calls you and is like, they died in a plane crash. Get here immediately. Wouldn't you in your back of your mind be like, is this a test? Maybe right. I'm running. I'm running there. Right. But also, if someone's already dead. Why do you have to rush? You get there. And then because uh, the fam- they're like, our family needs your support. You get there and then the person's alive and that you're in like a airplane hangar and they hand you two thousand two twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, it better be more money yes, this time. Yeah. If I have to travel. <laughs> but sometimes you do have to say no to friends, even if you want to say yes right, to friends. And right. I feel like if I cash that check, if I, that money was in my Venmo, I would be like, oh, my gosh, I can never say no to them ever again. I would be like, I would feel paid off in this gross way. I can't handle that. I love to be paid off. That's why I think I would I would have a hard time accepting the check, whereas I think I would be much more comfortable accepting a gift than than money. No, I just want the money. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay, our final scenario. Is this a date? While at the office Christmas party, you notice that one cater waiter has these really good pastry puffs on a tray, but people keep getting to them before you. You start to joke with the cater waiter about it. And after a few interactions, they ask if you would want to meet them in the bathroom with a secret stash of pastry puffs. Is this a date? Sounds amazing. <laughs> I've never had anyone say, meet, meet me in the bathroom for pastry. It is... <laughs> It is not a date, but it could lead to a date. Okay, so sort of a pre-date. It's a dalliance. It's a it's an in, it's a path to something more that is sweet and full full of potential and possibly cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I love the way that you phrased all of that. And when you were talking about like your dates with um your boyfriend at first and how they were very like seemed like old fashioned. I, the way that you framed all of this was very, it was giving very pride and prejudice. <laughs> it was giving, it was giving Downton Abbey. You know what I mean? It was very like, and there's a world of possibility in the back. Like I was like, oh, <laughs> she's a writer, huh? But I was a cater waiter. And if I did this, I would be flirting. So I think it's a date. Right. Like, I don't know if you would do this if there wasn't some romantic intention. Definitely. Absolutely. There's something wrong with me that my first thought was how clean is the bathroom? Is is that where they should be meeting? There's food now. I don't know. This is like the wrong thing to be thinking about. But our producer Melissa nodding and agree, couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Not the bathroom, please. I'm on this podcast with a bunch of neat freaks. And when I tell you I'm the opposite <laughs> of a neat freak, like don't say that because it makes it hard for me to hug you. I my <laughs> my clothes and body are clean. Are they? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Things are clean. <laughs> I wore I've worn these pants a couple days in a row. Oh no. <laughs> Why I, would you tell us that? I wear underwear. Who cares? We're not interacting with your underwear. We're interacting with your pants that are on Melissa's couch that haven't been cleaned in days. But you can wear pants multiple times. Disagree. 
exactly where I am. I'm in a bu- I'm in a weird war. I'm in a bubble. <laughs> I am somewhere in between, but I will say that I felt weird that I have pants on right now that I have worn more than once this week. But the fact that I think it's weird, I am. I also am allergic to everything. So once I wear something, I assume it has an allergen on it, and I toss it into oh. the, you know, wash. Yeah. Yeah, I know most people do it. I just find it gross. But I know most people do it. And my partner does it. And oh, sometimes I'll go, fun. I haven't washed that in quite some time. Get about his pants? About certain things. And I'll go steal them and put them in the wash. Oh, yeah. Allison's in charge of the laundry at her house. <laughs> well, I always say, like, a lot of people think I'm just bad at hugging. And I am a bad hugger. But one of the reasons is because I'm in a world where everyone I love has a cat. And I am allergic to cats. So, so much of my um, cold behavior is actually, I, I want to be close to you, but you are covered in cat hair. See, that's why we need to have open conversations. Oh, with my each other God. To learn these details so people don't take things personally. Exactly. Get a, get, I get a lint roller. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a career highlight for me. Where can people... Well, me too. <laughs> where can people find you and uh, your podcast and all your novels and everything you're doing? My latest young adult novel is Things That Grow, but most importantly, the podcast is Love Letters and the column is Love Letters and all sorts of good stories. And I'm just so happy you had me here. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Stick around. After the break, we'll be talking all about life hacks. Back to just between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby, baby, baby. You were trying to remember what you did last time, so you didn't repeat it. No, I was just gonna go opposite of Allison. That hasn't served me actually. <laughs> okay, we're different people. <laughs> yeah, we are. Today's topic I'm very excited about is life hacks. Whatcha? That's a whip. Yeah, no, I like wow. it. Wow, I was triggered. <laughs> Um, okay, so I was trying Melissa! <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> Melissa! Did you just get it? Oh no! When it dawns on you, it's bad. Oh no! <laughs> when it dawns on you, it's bad. <laughs> Melissa! That's the darkest joke I've ever had so on this podcast. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Oh, no. I'm just, it, it was just too easy, to be honest. <laughs> What is a what's a act sound? Hey ya, chop. That's a chop. 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 That's not a sound. Anyway, so I think you know as we move through life, we learn little hacks, and here's one that I'd like to share. Sure. If you are having an issue with a business or company or a doctor's office, yeah, where like they haven't done what you need them to do, and you're calling back again to try to resolve the issue, yeah. To the person on the phone, I'll go, I know this isn't your fault, Ooh. but this has happened. Okay. And it's a way for them to not feel like you're blaming them specifically because you're not. You're blaming all these other people who haven't helped you or the issues or the structure of the company. And it's a way to sort of like be able to not come off rudely, but also make it clear that things have not been going that just reminded me of something where I used that one time, but now I do not remember what the situation was. But it was kind of recent. Really? And it worked? I don't even remember. And it's also a way for you to emotionally regulate so that you don't get too fired up 
from the beginning of the conversation because mm-hmm. that puts everyone on at odds. But to be able to say, I totally get that this isn't your fault, but blah, 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 blah. And then they also, some people's personalities will be like, well, I'm going to be the one to fix this. Or they'll go, I do work with a bunch of idiots. Like well, they're, now they, they're like, totally. Like they think you're on their side. Yeah. That's a hack. I like that. <laughs> I saw one on the internet that's so illegal. It was that if you don't ever buy new tires, just get a rental car that's your same I've car. Seen <gasps> I've seen and this. And then switch out the tires. But how would you know that the rental car had newer tires? They but usually you can, do. But you can also just check how much if their tread is thicker than your tread. Right. Oh, have you done this? You should be checking your th- your tread. All like no, no, no. But you like, no, no, I would never do that. That's so much work. It's also so yeah. It's it's also not nice. No, it's really uh. I don't know because then if everybody's doing that, by the time someone gets that car, it's gonna have tires that are just run on the rims. But they're always checking though. Like uh. I feel like that they're because when you they do so many like inspections on your car I when really you rent when you rent a car they like walk around and they're checking yeah. shit all the time. Yeah. Do you have any life hacks, Melissa? I feel like most of my life hacks are just throwing money at things. That's yeah. a hack. <laughs> Honestly, like think, when, realizing that you can pay for people to do things for yeah, you is a hack. <laughs> like when I just get overwhelmed with stuff, I'm like, I like I just need my kitchen organized. And I'll just hire a task rabbit to come oh organize my, my, t- my kitchen. That's or, not a hack that's just called, hey, have money. My life hack is have money. I mean... For real, though, <laughs> if you have money, your life is so much easier. And it actually, like, really pisses me off when people are like, money doesn't buy happiness. Yes, it does. But it does. It does. Yes, it, does. it does. Because it alleviates all of this stress. Yes. It gives you back so much of your time exactly. because you're able to pay other people to do stuff. Yes. And I, what I do is I sit there and calculate, like, if I'm working and it's going to take away from, like, me working, right. how much money am I losing? So if the cost makes Ooh. sense, then I do it you know people say money doesn't buy happiness to keep people poor yes so that when people are poor they're like well at least i'm happy no 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 no. it does i learned upon traveling with my father kid raskin who also taught us all the life hack if you don't ask you don't get the best one and this is in that realm if you're on an airplane and you are cold you can tell them to make it warmer yeah Oh, yeah. You knew that? Yeah. Yeah. I was. I didn't know you could. I didn't know you were even allowed to bring that up. Who was I with? I was flying with someone who didn't know that you that the, there was a button to ring the steward to come over. Really? They didn't know. I was like, yeah, you just hit that button. And they were like, that calls them over. Isn't that like so like demeaning to them? And I'm like, no, that's what the button's that's, for. That's how they know. Yeah. I think one hack that I do, this is a hack just to make me feel better in the day is that I have programmed my uh, Echo device. I don't want to say because I don't want to trigger it. But when I I have like a morning routine uh-huh. that when my alarm goes off, it plays music. And then it says, bitch, you're going to have a good day. <laughs> and then it tells me the weather. And it just gets me in a good mood yeah. for the morning. Wow. I like a routine. Mm-hmm. There's the one about how you're supposed to open a banana. Do you know about that one? Yeah, the no. bottom. Yeah, you're supposed to open it from the bottom. Why? Because it's, it's easier. That's like how it's meant to be opened. It's easier. I can't. I don't believe you. Or, no, it really no, is. No, it really is. No, like you just pinch it and just opens right yeah, up. Yeah, it's easier. What? Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to open it from the bottom. Yeah. That's how like monkeys and stuff open bananas. They don't. What do you mean you just pinch it? You pinch yeah, the bottom the and it bottom. opens. Instead of like moving it back and forth yeah. at the top, the bottom just pinch it and it opens. And opens. <laughs> what? 
Yeah. There's also, I saw one where it was like when you have a cutting board and you're like taking stuff off the cutting board, but it like falls out the side of the bowl and you're like, ah, shit. You just push it through the hole at the top of the cutting board. Yeah, I don't understand. You know the hole at the top of the cutting board? So instead of turning the cutting board sideways and pushing the onions off into a plate where it might fall off the sides, you know what I'm saying? You push, push it, it through, through the, the hole, hole and it's contained. That's what she said. Oh my God. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want onions, onions in the, the hole. hole. Well, no, just push it through the hole was the, that's yeah, what she okay. said. Very good. Um, also, <laughs> you can ask a hotel to do pretty much anything. What do you mean? You can ask a hotel to mail stuff for you. If you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm flying back and I have this artwork that I bought, but I can't take it on the plane. The hotel will mail it to your house for you. Mm -hmm. They'll do your laundry. They'll dry clean stuff. You have to pay. You can pretty. Yeah, but you can pretty Again, much. Again, that's the same thing of what I was saying. That, you the just mail. Said, you said that was not at life. No, hack if you're paying for things, the mail that I don't think you have to pay. You have to pay the postage on it. You do. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm just saying there's so, a lot of amenities at hotels that people don't ask for. Yeah. And you can ask for a late checkout. Mm -hmm. yeah, late checkout, early check-in. You can check, check out whenever you want to, to be honest. Kind of, as yeah. As long as it's clean, if no, nobody's still, like, coming in. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I think people don't want to bother people, but then that's their job. Like, this is not a life hack, but, like, so many people write into Bad With Money, and they're like, but how do I, like, find out this 401k matching, and how do I do this? And I'm like, there's literally a whole department called HR and you can just go there and ask them questions. Like people think like, oh, I don't want to bother them or like, I don't want to go to HR and seem stupid or whatever. I'm like, their job is they're If you don't go there and ask them stuff, they're just sitting there. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. No, a lot of HR is just sitting there. A lot really? of jobs. <laughs> a lot of corporate jobs are just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. What do they do? I, I you know, what was we were rewatching The Office recently and I was like, this is not how a paper company would work. I was like, why would anybody, who are they calling all day? How well, many doing people, sales. but like sales. how many people are there to call to sell the paper to? Okay, but think about how many places need paper. Yeah, every place needs oh, paper. Oh, so now I'm being attacked. No, when my dad was an alarm <laughs> system salesman oh my gosh. in the 90s, he was calling all the time, different places trying to think of who might need alarm systems. Yeah. Yeah, but like the, the there was the internet during that show. Right. So I guess, but I think the idea was that Dunder Mifflin was like not up to the, to the times. Yeah. I think they were still like calling. But like, and what was Pam's job when she became office manager? What did she do <laughs> eight hours a day? Manage the office. But they had a receptionist too. The receptionist is not managing the office. The office manager is over the receptionist. Yes. I've been a receptionist. I've been a both. Yeah, I've, I've been done a receptionist. receptionist and office manager. What, what do you manage when you're managing the office? You gotta like basically you're just telling everybody else like what to do, like making sure that like paper is stocked making sure that like there's if there's an I'm the just fridge. bringing up things that are happening like if they're the alarms there like making sure that system's up to date yeah. like there's a lot of codes you have to follow in offices mm -hmm. and you got to make sure all that stuff's up to date making sure like bills are paid yeah, yeah. there's right. actually like a lot of stuff to do okay I, I take it back yeah when I was a receptionist it was a lot of sitting around waiting for the phone to ring I will say receptionist yeah that when I was working at a production phone calls I remember when I left that job and the office manager who actually didn't even work specifically at that office. She like managed all the offices and she worked out of New York, but she told the other receptionist and she didn't think the receptionist was going to tell me that, oh, Melissa really fucked you. And I was like, first of all, you think I'm going to be a receptionist for the rest of my life? You could be. <laughs> I could be. But like this was a production office where I was making like $10 an hour. Yeah. There's no way. And then two, 
we didn't do anything. <laughs> we, we literally sat there on our computers and sometimes we do research for people, but like yeah. we were never, we weren't doing anything. So You're like, how did I fuck? How did I fuck? Write in and tell us what you do. Cause I think maybe Melissa and I were just bad at the job. No, I was great at my job. <laughs> I was great. If I was bad, then she'd be like, great, she's leaving. Yeah. But maybe you really increase morale. Right. Maybe you're an important part of the, you know, the ecosystem. The ecosystem, the of, ecosystem the place. of the place. Yeah. She didn't even, she wasn't there though. She was in New York. <laughs> so she didn't know. Okay. I have a, I have a life hack, which is don't ever buy an umbrella or a phone charger. Oh, I've Just seen go these. into a hotel and say, you left your phone charger in the room. Can you, or you left your, um, umbrella, can you look at the lost and found? I saw and there's always an umbrella and there's always a phone charger. I saw this video of this man that was going to very like upscale restaurants and asking for a very specific, very like expensive umbrella. And so he like was just going around to show that you can do it. Like if you go to a certain area, like if you went to like Beverly Hills or something and you just went to every restaurant, they've got it. Like somebody has left it there at some point. I left my Birkin bag. <laughs> That's and, not going to happen. And I was just wondering if anyone found it. Uh, I, a life hack I've learned recently is is that if you're get, starting to get in an argument with somebody, you can just say, well, I guess we disagree on this. Yeah. And then you don't have to keep arguing about it. <laughs> that took me forever to figure out oh that you could God. just do that. I've started on Reddit. When people go too hard about something, I'll just say, oh, this sounds personal. And then... <laughs> Because they realize it is personal oh, that they're wow. going hard for something that they actually it's just something that's to them. It's not for everybody right. else. Right. Is it a life hack to buy the longest cord of every cord possible? I think so. Just get the longest one. You're going to want it. It's good to have long cords. Yeah. You're going to want the 10 foot cord. Just get the 10 foot cord. Yeah. Do you think it's worth it to get Apple care? No. Yes. Oh, see. One time. My battery, like I had just gotten a computer and my battery, like after a month or so, just went out and I went and they just gave me another one because Apple, Apple Care. All right. I'm convinced. There's been time. There's yeah, there's been like a few things that have happened to my computer and I just I, it's still under Apple Care and they'll just fix it. Oh, my God. OK, Melissa, this sounds personal. <laughs> yeah, it was. And it, <laughs> it helped me personally. Here's a trans life hack. If you're a trans guy and you're on uh, testosterone that is injected, get a tackle box for fishing and then put all of your um, stuff in the tackle box because the, there's it'll fit the needles. It'll fit the syringes because it's all these different sized little things. And there's the it'll fit like the testosterone bottle, too. Does and it just, need to be refrigerated? No. What about a caboodle? Yeah, you can put it in a caboodle. <laughs> What's a caboodle? You, you'll recognize it. It's from when we were kids. But this is Allison. She might not remember. I was I was too busy just just sitting in a black room eating artichokes. <laughs> Literally. Caboodle. You had you you must have had these. I'm gonna flip out if you don't remember this. The caboodle. Oh, that looks familiar, but I never knew that had a name. Honestly, I should put my testosterone in a caboodle. That's pretty that's fun. Yeah. That's you've made my life hack less dull. <laughs> <laughs> what did we rate this episode? I rate it seven out of five. Allison asking, are you dating right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'll rate it 14 out of 11 caboodles. 
I'll read it. Uh, 30 out of 20 slime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not 30 out of 20 acupuncture needles. Hell no. Just like my elementary school. <laughs> Again, triggered. Oh, because you ate needles. <laughs> I was like, what's racist about needles, Melissa? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, thank you to Meredith Goldstein for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Dog. <laughs>